Welcome to this episode of Your Life Legacy Matters. I'm Carvel Jones, and I happen to be the uh, executive director to our chair, our treasure chair, Mr. Pastor Dr. William Reveley, who's in the uh, studio today. And what we want to share with you is that on this eve of our Black History Month, we're excited to bring the stories of people within the community and also people globally that have been able to sort of blaze a trail and lay some tracks, if I could use that term, that people after them could walk in and perhaps maybe go a little faster. And so we have the uh, pleasure of uh, introducing you to our chairman, uh, Pastor Dr. William Reveley, who has a very special and honored guest that we can have some pleasure of enjoying some history with. So, Dr. Reveley? Yes, sir. Thank you, uh, Carvel. We uh, appreciate each of you for listening and looking in on us. Uh, I was very disappointed when I learned that uh, there were children, young people, who had never heard of Dr. Martin Luther King. I said, my God, what you mean they don't, they don't know about? I said, yes, they never heard of him, Reverend. They don't talk about it. And, well, my coming to Detroit after being in the on the East Coast for 40 years was a, a different experience. And uh, here I, I, the first year here, a gentleman I met and couldn't have known him long because he passed away during the same time. But I learned uh, that his son was not going to let his name die. I said, what? Not going to let, people are not going to forget him because he's going to make sure everybody knew his father. And likewise, in knowing his father, you're going to know him. My friend is a, an outstanding citizen of Detroit, renowned in a lot of ways, but I think that uh, you will agree with me that one of the uh, finest young men uh, in this part of the country, in the world, is my buddy, Reverend Horace Sheffield. And uh, Sheffield uh, will show you how the world is smaller than we think and how much we can do to make it the world that it ought to be. Reverend Sheffield, well, that's pretty, glad uh, to have you, man. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I was listening to the introduction, and I was thinking about who I am. I was wondering, did we have the same person in mind? <laughs> 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 well, honored to be here. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to, uh, to tell you that every time I have been in your presence, you open up doors of my imagination and get, make my intellect even better off because you're always telling me things about your daddy. Mm -hmm. And uh, your daddy was a tremendous brother. Tell us what Horace Sheffield Jr. was all about. Yeah, you know, I, I learned a lot myself. I mean, I, I certainly lived, lived it myself, uh, being born in 54 and um, had the pleasure of my dad taking me uh, most places sitting in on the planning meetings for the March on Washington or, mm -hmm. you know, hosting A. Philip Randolph and those kind of folks in our homes. But 
Uh, as you know, we did his 100th birthday celebration, and a gentleman from Birmingham, Alabama, uh, talked about how my father took a train there uh, in the 1940s mm. and brought Thurgood Marshall to Birmingham to begin to help black veterans who had returned from the war vote. And he talked as if in the presence of Thurgood Marshall and, and all the other folks who were there, that the person who they were waiting on to come was my dad <laughs> because he'd had a history. Of course, he wound up being the head of the Birmingham Voter Education Project. Um, you know, I, I give him a lot of um, honor that he made certain that I knew why he was gone. My dad was absent a lot and he took me uh, places to see what it was that he was fighting for and fighting against. And so, um, one of the things I think people don't understand is the degree to which the city of Detroit played such a, a prominent and pivotal role in the civil rights movement. Oh. You know, Dr. King had the clergy, um, but what he didn't have was black trade unionism. Baird Rustin and A. Philip Randolph. Mm -hmm. My dad was vice president of the Negro American Labor Council in 1943 under A. Philip <laughs> Randolph. Baird Rustin was a secretary treasurer. And both of them were the two organizers of the March on Washington for jobs in the in the in the war industry. Mm -hmm. So the, my dad always says the difference between a pile of bricks and the cathedral was organization. Mm -hmm. So what Detroit brought was black trade unionists, unionists who knew how to organize. And if you really dissect Dr. King's movement, you will see that it was exactly that kind of work. Uh, it's almost fitting, I guess, in some ways. Uh, if that may not be the best choice of words, that he'd actually died in Memphis fighting for the rights of of sanitation workers. Yeah. Because yes. it was black trade unionists that undergirded his movement and enabled him to uh, have the success he did. It wasn't preachers. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, and he and I had this conversation. <laughs> A lot of misinformation goes out there about, yeah. you know, Dr. Jackson and people like that. But he did not get the support. Uh, quite frankly, of a lot of the prominent churches and a lot yeah. of people, I say this, and I, I, you ask the next question. If all the people who claimed to have been behind Dr. King uh, were, yeah. the movement would have lasted three months and, it, yeah. and then we'd have succeeded. They just weren't there. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Reverend Sheffield, when you think about uh, your younger days and your father and you uh, reflect back on that right now, the Faith-Based Cause Initiative is really... Um, interested in embracing uh, the life legacy of an individual. And our message is, as we move into 2021, is that everyone's life legacy really matters. Yeah. And so this program is based on your life legacy matters. And yeah. we're interested in hearing about the legacy of your family. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the most important thing that I gleaned from my father, and it's his own words, is that the true measure of a person's life is not how much they have, but how much they give. 1963, my dad took me uh, with my mom and my sisters to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. In his archives, we actually have the signed invitation by Lyndon and Lady Berg and, and uh, Jackie and, and President Kennedy. And that day, we went to Lyndon Johnson's house, who was vice president. We swam in his pool while my dad met with the vice president. And in all those instances, initially, I'm, you know, I'm nine years old. <laughs> um, I got the big head. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, oh, daddy, you somebody, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And he reminded me that that he was there because he was a champion of working class people. Uh, it, it was, you know, blue collar folks 
uh, that he bore on his back. And that I ought to never think more of myself than I should. And, and that's that's the reason he was there. And I, I mean, and he continuously, you know, uh, made me learn that lesson. And so it's a lesson that's lost today because now people are building themselves. You know, that whole generation, whether it be my dad or the Coleman Youngs, they were people who really deferred their own aspirations uh, for the fate and future of future generations. Now, today, people are in it for themselves. Uh, even if they tell you they're for us, they're really privately for themselves. They use us as a means to gain things for themselves. So, you know, I'm just on it, man. I, I, I mean, you know, not only that, I, grew, I, I lived through the uh, civil rights movement. I lived through the, 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 the uh, anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, these were great times where, you know, upheaval and social unrest and people really believing that they could force this government to force this nation to be something other than what it was. Um, you don't get that today. When you talk about young people don't know Dr. King, they, they, you know, the Dr. King that they're told about now is reduced to a dream. Oh. You know, nothing about the nightmare <laughs> uh, that precipitated the, the need for the dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I appreciate um, that. And I guess uh, in talking with our chairman, Pastor Dr. Reveille, he's told so many stories about you and your efforts in the community and just not giving up on Detroit. Yeah. Uh, myself growing up as a child here and just having the blessing to really um, have someone like a Congressman John Conyers mm -hmm. wrap his arms around me as a little mm -hmm. kid and mm -hmm. be able to drive funding to the community through yeah. Northwestern High School and Motor City Tennis Club right. just opened up an entire yeah. world for me. Yeah. So I was not able to see really what was happening there because I was a child. And if you were to share something with our younger audience, I mean, our audience is really young and you know it's important for them to be able to see what the possibilities are through the eyes of someone that have seen so much. Is yeah. there a message you can share with our younger Well, people? let me just, let's just connect John Conyers real quick, because John Conyers Sr. and my dad were two of the first African-Americans on the international staff of the UAW. Oh. In fact, they were there before Walter Ruther came to power with the Ruther Caucus. R.J. Thomas was the president of the UAW, and of course, to, to uh, guarantee the success of the Ford strike, uh, the Ruther brothers had to embrace black workers. Uh, now, later on, after they, they succeeded, it was another matter because there was another almost 50 years before uh, an African-American was even on the board of the UAW. Hmm. Uh, but John Conyers comes out of that movement. His son, uh, the Trade Union Leadership Conference, which my father was one of the founders of, right there on Grand River, oh. uh, was, was, was the place where Dr. King came and A. Philip Randolph came and Baird Rustin came and James Farmer came. And put that in the context of youth, John Conyers was a young man, a very young man working for Dingle, Congressman Dingle's father, mm. who was a congressman. And so there were all kinds of opportunities for young people. Um, I even had opportunities. Uh, and I think that generation, more than the one we have presently, was acutely aware of preparing uh, young people to assume leadership. Um, they had experienced Jim Crow. Uh, they had uh, been beaten down by discrimination. And while they wanted uh, a better life and want to gain these positions that they were denied, their whole credo was, you know, let's open the doors. We don't have to go in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And let's make sure our young people are prepared. So what did they do? You had to get a good education. There was also, and I don't think people recognize this, I think Reverend Rebley can tell you, 
there was also this strict moral code. Um, you look back at that generation and, and you know, they, they weren't going to jail. They wasn't stealing money. Uh, you know, they weren't involved in multiple relationships. I mean, they actually sacrificed because my dad told me that, you know, look, what we're doing, uh, white folks will get you for. <laughs> and you better make sure when they come, they ain't got something on you. And so they, they really believe and they held each other to a, a standard of accountability. If you're going to fight for other people, if you're going to open doors for other people, you got to make certain your hands are clean. Yes. And we, we got away from that today. I mean, I think about uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, one of the most gifted young men I've ever met in my life. Yes. Uh, gone. I mean, through. Um, and that's not the kind of hope and dream uh, that the John Conyers and and even what was inculcated in you uh, was given to produce. Yes. Yeah. You know, when I reflect on that, and uh, again, this is uh, such an honor. Uh, I want the audience to just sort of soak in uh, every uh, bit of information that's being shared by Reverend Sheffield. And, you know, we just don't have an opportunity to reflect upon the people that have made it possible for us to really do some great things now. And so when I think about uh, what we're doing with the Faith-Based Cause Initiative, when I think about uh, really what the dream is of being able to help each and every small group of faith, of cause, you know, of charitable outreach, move into the technology world of visual. We're in a pandemic. And I think if there's four things I can kind of go over with you and want you to lock arms with whoever's close to you, you or whoever you have a chance to, to talk to or even fellowship with in a very safe fashion is that we're in a pandemic and there's no such thing called pandemic fatigue. And there's a thing called I'm dead. So we want to stay living and we want to practice good, uh, uh, if you would, maintenance, uh, very good maintenance when we talk about our personal protection and we talk about safe distancing, we talk about just really limiting our gathering in large crowds. Now, as we look into the next day, going into Black History Month, I'm also reminded that the Super Bowl is coming up. Let's try to resist the Super Bowl party, okay? I do know that they're going to be opening up the bars and uh, the uh, you know, the various um, gathering places, but we want to be very cognizant of the fact that we're in a pandemic. Next, we want to understand that from a financial perspective, there's a lot of people out there hurting. And our guest, Reverend Sheffield and our chairman, uh, Dr. Revley, they're very, very well aware of the, the pulse of the community and how the pain is going deep where some people don't even know if they're going to uh, have something to eat uh, next week. They may have something to eat today, but they don't really know if they're going to be living in the same place that they're living in now because of the downward pressure the uh, pandemic is putting on the economy. And you couple that with just the social unrest and us being able to really stare the reality of white supremacy right in the face and understand that we have a lot of, of white brothers and sisters that understand the struggle that we have been going through and they want to basically step up and we're going to be introducing you to some of those individuals doing Black History Month to lock their arms with us and we as Dr. Martin Luther King has basically often said in the past and it resonates in the future that we certainly should be overcoming the obstacles are in front of us. And so I want to kind of uh, throw things to you, Dr. Revely, to close this segment out. Do uh, you have any thoughts that uh, Brother uh, Reverend Sheffield has shared with us? Well, 
Reverend Sheffield has shared a great deal, uh, but there's so much more to it. I, he mentioned his the archives that uh, uh, they are doing his on his father's history. Yes. That, uh, uh, and I want him to tell us about that. Young people need to know that it's available. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us about because he had a he had a job trying to trying to get to this stuff and going into it. He learned some things that he didn't even yeah. <laughs> even know. Yeah. Well, we uh, we've digitized his archives. Um, the same gentleman who did uh, Jackie Robinson's, Robert Kennedy, uh, Daisy Bates have did my, done my father's and said it's one of the most uh, uh, you know expansive collections he's ever seen. I mean, my father has a pamphlet, for example, he wrote in the '30s under the pseudonym called "Unite Regardless." urging white workers to accept black workers in the Rouge plant. Uh, so we have tapes, recordings uh, of Dr. King that have never been aired. Uh, everywhere my father went where he was with Dr. King, whatever, he taped them. Uh, he actually did an intro for my dad's radio show that aired on WCHB for uh, from like 1949 all the way to like 1970. Uh, so all that's been digitized, and in fact, the UAW celebrating the, the anniversary of the March on Selma had no photos of Walter Ruther at Selma. And my father actually had photos of him taping him as he spoke to a crowd with Dr. King nearby. So it's, it's an unbelievable collection. I mean, we've spent, you know, $100,000 digitizing this stuff. Um, Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West, yes. my professor, uh, who was cheering Black Wall Street with me in Tulsa, has got access to it. I've got several African-American scholars uh, who are just pouring through it and, you know, all want to write books uh, based on the information that my father has. Uh, he was good friends with Langston Hughes. Mm -hmm. He has a significant amount of stuff there from him, a, uh, uh, Adam Clayton Powell. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I know about everything from the time I was about four or five years up, mm -hmm. which has been like 59 on. Okay. Uh, but there's stuff that goes back to the early 30s. Uh, and stuff, by the way, uh, about the city of Detroit and the fight. For example, the Soldier of Truth project that was built as a public housing complex for African Americans during World War II. When blacks tried to move in it, there was a mob, almost a riot. Whites refused them access to that public housing complex. Uh, all that history is there because my dad was part of the group that organized the protest against what what took place. So it's available. Um, uh, Wayne County Community College District is actually creating an archival center where this information will be available to the public. And what I like about it is the last thing is that everyday nameless people, people you would not know, my dad kept information on. So you would know uh, if Howard Smith, mm -hmm. you know, who was a rank and file member of the UAW at Chrysler, you know, was involved in any of those marches or meetings, it's there. Uh, and it's a great history. Well, you know, Reverend Sheffield, it's been such a pleasure just uh, fellowshipping with you right now, along with our chair, Dr. Reveille. And I just want to share with the audience is that, you know, as we move towards uh, African-American uh, month, Black History Month, if you would, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to hear again from uh, Reverend Sheffield more about really what he's doing in the community with just a tremendous organization that he uh, heads up and that he has the uh, the help and support of uh, a lot of people that really wouldn't have time to go through the, the list. And so on behalf of uh, our chair, uh, Dr. Pastor Reveille, our CEO, Mr. Gregory Garland, I want to thank you guys for tuning in.